From the PSIA AASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and First Chair brought to you this month by GEICO. GEICO is offering PSIA AASI members special discounts on auto insurance as their way to support our community. All you need to do is log into thesnowpros.org, click on Shop, click on Pro Offers. The cute little GEICO gecko is going to pop up. Click that for a quote, and you can see just how much more you could save with a special discount on your auto insurance. Great guest for you this evening. Jonathan Ballou is on the line, checking in from New Zealand. Jonathan, great to chat with you again. Been too long. Uh, great to chat with you too, George. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, we've got quite the topic for tonight, and that would be Fitz and Posner's theory of motor skill acquisition. Uh, roughly, yeah. In general, what I wanted to chat with you about, um, since this is a learning-themed month, or teaching-themed month, I should say, is... Um, is motor skill acquisition. Um, there's a lot of models out there. Uh, my favorite one is one of the first ones, and it's uh, done by Fitz and Posner. Uh, I think it was 1964 or 67. It's one of the simpler ones out there. Um, and the real takeaway from that is, you know, we have a lot of teaching models and models about instructor behavior <clears throat> that we use um, so that instructors can go out and present a great lesson. But really what we're after i mean what's the goal of teaching george the goal is teaching is that somebody learns something that what they walk away from your lesson is a uh with is a change in behavior and understanding and hopefully that change is permanent that uh whether they've learned to love the sport more um get over fear or have some new skill acquisition uh that whatever they've come away with is far more important than whatever you do so uh, by lurking through skill acquisition how, uh, and looking at teaching, sorry, by looking at teaching, what we really find is that it's not really about teaching, it's about learning. And what great instructors do is not present information well or have phenomenal information, although many of them do. The greatest teachers out there create an environment when learning happens, they recognize that learning's happened, and they and understand to what degree learning has happened so they can celebrate that with their students. Now, how are we able to attain those models in our, well, I hate to say teaching because it's about measuring learning? Well, we have a bunch of learning models that, that we use. Like, okay, one we use that you can find in the Core Concepts Manual, and I'm sure it'll be in the new version of the Core Concepts Manual, is um, it's, uh, it's also in the Kids Manual, and it's actually what the Kids National Standards, the Children's CS special, the Children's Specialist National Standards are built on, is uh, Bloom's Taxonomy of Cognition. Uh, this is a cognitive learning model <clears throat> created by Dr. Bloom, and it basically says that um, yeah, there's, there's six steps in there that people go through, and if they're at a higher level, you don't need to teach to the lower level because they already have it. It's inherently built in. For an example, if somebody can apply something, they have some comprehension of it. If somebody can analyze something, and synthesize new activities and evaluate them, then they have the ability generally to apply it from a cognitive perspective. That's a very commonly used model in, um, in snow sports education and in PSIASI. Um, and it, the thing about that model is it works for cognitive skill acquisition. But when we talk mm -hmm. about um, uh, teaching a guest in the mountain environment to go left and right better on whatever piece of equipment they're on, that's not a cognitive activity. That's a motor activity. So to be effective, we need a different framework. 
for measuring learning and ensuring that we get the outcomes we go after. Because it's not about understanding more, it's about doing more. And that brings up a good point, because as soon as you were talking about some of the cognitive things as far as teaching to the higher level, because you've already uh, attained the, the items at the lower level, I mean, that made me think, I mean, you can have a very advanced lesson, but really need to work on basic stance with that person. Mm-hmm. Usually, I mean, when we go back to, uh, we're kind of getting away from skiing, from, sorry, from teaching at this point, or learning, but generally, if you look at the Alpine Fundamentals, which is what most of the team members teach most of the time, um, at a, you know, and they teach them at a very fundamental level as opposed to nuances, it's because most people, myself included, um, and my other teammates, need to work on the most basic stuff. That has the, focusing on the most basic stuff has the largest impact, typically. But um, taking a look at, uh, at how motor skill acquisition works, <clears throat> what this means to a teacher is we want to be able to assess where somebody is in their acquisition of motor skill so we can teach in a certain way or in a way that matches their level of acquisition. For example, um, Pitts and Posner's theory, as you brought up, uh, has got three stages to it. It's got a cognitive stage, associative stage, and an autonomous stage. And everybody, as they learn a new skill, a new motor skill, a new out motor output, goes through some version of these three phases. And these aren't hard phases, but it's more like a spectrum. Um, you move along this spectrum until it becomes autonomous. Um, let's look at what those... Um, uh, those um, those stages look like. Um, so uh, autonomous would mean that you um, you don't put a lot of conscious thought into the activity or the outcome you're trying to achieve. It happens kind of autonomically or automatically. It means your attention can be focused on a lot of other things. Like, for example, um, uh, you are probably doing a number of things measuring sound levels and doing various things that you know innately how to do while you're listening to me speak right now. But if you were to do something very different, like say, try to take notes with this conversation with your left hand, if you're right-handed, um, you, that would not be an autonomous skill set. What that would send you into is a state where you'd be cognitive. You'd be doing something that you don't understand very well and don't have the skill set to do. And your focus of attention would move from this very external world to a very internal world until you start figuring out how to be successful with that. Once you become slightly successful with it, you start to move into a place called an associative phase. That associative phase is one where you start to trial and error, use a little less internal thought, and start to figure out ways to be successful and not successful, and hopefully repeat the successful ones. As a teacher of snow sports, this is something we do to our students very intentionally all the time. I mean, anyone here listening can remember when they they were put in a clinic situation or a lesson environment where they were asked to do something. Um, they were skiing along and feeling great, and they were asked to riding along and feeling great. They were asked to do a task that just confused the hell out of them, and they um, uh, all of a sudden could barely stand up or couldn't focus on what was going on or the slight, smallest little change in snow conditions. Um, uh, threw them off balance. That was moving from a very autonomous to a cognitive phase. And that is important because what happened in that environment is the teacher, the instructor, found something they couldn't do to create a learning environment. 
So, Jonathan, as good measurers of learning, or teachers, uh, we need to be aware of all these things that are going on because we're going to have different students that are picking these up in different ways, correct? Well, George, what's really important about this process for instructors to understand is that we do this intentionally to people. We move them into a state where they can't do something or can't do it very well and then help them progress to a point or help them help themselves progress to a point where they figure it out. Um, we don't see, we don't see success in anybody while people will move at different rates. We don't see immediate success. What we see is a process of trial and error until they figure it out. It's an interesting thing. If, if somebody sees absolute immediate success with a challenge that we face to create an educational process, we haven't created an educational learning process. What we've done is we've just found something else they can do. <clears throat> One of the goals I have in my lessons is when I'm working with somebody trying to develop skills, I find stuff that, that puts them into this cognitive state that has total mental focus on what they're trying to achieve so that we've found something that is of a, di of a dif difficult enough level that they actually have to focus on it to try to figure it out. Through that process, they will eventually figure out a new outcome. Once they have that new outcome figured out, they will start to replicate it more regularly. They'll associate positive outcomes and it'll eventually become an autonomous process where they, um, they aren't internally focused. And then it's time to find the next challenge that sends them back into that cognitive state. You're listening to First Chair. First Chair brought to you this month by GEICO. We're visiting with Jonathan Ballou, talking about the theory of motor skill acquisition now, Jonathan, how can we take what you're talking about and really integrate this into our skills so that we can become better instructors? Okay. <clears throat> That's a lot of this comes in feedback. Now, if you look at that, think of that idea that we've taken something where somebody is very externally focused. They're in a place to receive lots of information because their, their mind is clear while they do things because they know how to do something. We're taking them to a place where they're very focused on something they can't do so it's taking up all of their cognitive activity. Their mental bandwidth, when they're figuring something new out, is used up trying to figure out something new. The biggest mistake teachers do, instructors do at this point, when somebody can't do it, is they give them a lot of feedback to try to fix the problem. The reality is, they, the student needs to discover the solution for themselves with our guidance, so we can help but we can very easily get somebody into cognitive overload by continually adding more information that we think will help them, as opposed to let them struggle with it, be emotionally supportive, be empathetic, and simplify the environment as much as we can so they can start to find success soon. So you're saying, too, um, when someone hits that point of, of not being able to do this task and all their attention is focused on it, then we're talking to them more and more. They're really not even able to really take in what we're saying because they're so focused on what they can't do. Or focused on what they're trying to do. Correct. Hopefully we keep the environment positive so they don't focus on what they can't do. They focus on what they're trying to do. One of the things that's really important about the cognitive phase is to be successful, you have to have some knowledge of what you're trying to do and be focused on what you're trying to do with the knowledge that you're not doing it yet. If somebody is focused clearly on what they're trying to do, which is a big part of our job, to help them stay focused on the, the, the goal, not the problem, the goal, their body and mind will generally come to 
a reasonable proximity of that. So they'll be able to they'll be able to solve that problem. In that, we help them through a discovery process where they really own something. So, Jonathan, as a trainer, uh, is there a way that you can really work with us as teachers to get us to recognize this, see the points where we need to change our teaching style, uh, or adapt to the situation that, that's taking place? Well, yeah, George, the first thing people need people to do is understand what those three phases look like so they can recognize them and then understand their role as teachers when they recognize that. An example would be this. If you see people just totally externally focused, uh, absolutely able to do everything we're asking them to do, they're in this very autonomous place, there's not a ton of learning that happens right then. So what we need to do is create a challenge, something that um, to create new skill, we either need to challenge them to vary the, the, what they've got going on or add something new to it. Something that sends them into a point where they have to focus on it to some degree. And when they do focus on that, we found a suitable challenge. When that focus, we don't want it to become overwhelming by any means. But when it starts focusing their their um, their their focus of attention inward to what they're trying to do and understanding the outcome they're trying to do, then it's our job to help them clarify that outcome. It's not our job to help them fix it. It's our job to help them clarify what they're trying to do. Does that make sense, George? It does. Once they have an idea of what they're trying to do and the difference between what they're currently doing, sometimes this is called conscious incompetent. You know that time when I know what I'm trying to do, I know what success looks like, I can see it around me, but I can't quite do it. It's like the end of the cognitive phase, also called conscious incompetent. Sorry, I'm, I'm not competent, but I'm very conscious of it. We can start giving some feedback on how to do things. So essentially, what we do is we find a what that people can't do. We help them understand the what. That's not the how, it's the what it is. When they understand what the what is, and they can recognize the what externally, and they can recognize the fact that they aren't doing the what, we can start to help them discover the how. In discovering the how, it's done through experiences. It's not, remember, we're in a motor skill acquisition process, not a cognitive skill acquisition process. So the how isn't achieved through complex technical minutia. It's done through trial and error and experimentation and tasks and, and, and physical activities that keeps people moving and focusing on the movement or the outcome of the skis, not the subtle minutia and long technical diatribes. Um, that, uh, uh, that can sometimes happen. It's done through positive reinforcement. It's done through um, data-driven feedback, telling people some good, some bad, yeah, absolutely, but more like 90, 95% of that, that feedback should be um, what happened because the person already knows what should happen. They've demonstrated this by the fact that they can see what success looks like even if they can't quite do it. We need to tell them the differences between, or show them, preferably show them, uh, sometimes tell them the differences between what they are uh, doing and what they'd like to be doing. One thing to add about this is that all of this talks about not the behaviors of the instructor, but the process that the student is going through. It's, we are watching them, we are giving them something to do that puts them in a cognitive state. We are watching them work through the cognitive state, helping them work through that until they can figure out the what. Once they understand the what, they can see it, they've demonstrated that they know the what, but they are not doing the what, we can start working into the how. 
And once we get into the how, that's done through experimentation, their experimentation, not ours, their experimentation until it becomes a more automatic process. All of this is stuff that happens in the student. So this model is about us recognizing where the student is so we can help them progress forward and not get in their way of learning. Jonathan Ballou, thanks very much for joining us this evening on First Chair. Is it evening in New Zealand right now? It's, uh, no, it's, it's afternoon. I just finished lunch. It's about a little after one. Oh, and it's probably after one tomorrow, correct? Correct. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there we go. I'm about to go get on the hill and send uh, six people into a very uncomfortable cognitive process. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out to visit with us on First Chair. It's my pleasure, George. I look forward to the next time. And thanks to everyone who's been listening to First Chair. First Chair brought to you this month by GEICO. GEICO's offering PSIA, AASI members, special discounts on auto insurance. It's their way to support our community. Go on over to thesnowpros.org, log in, click on Shop, click on Pro Offers, click on the GEICO Gecko, and that will take you to a page where you can get a quote, and you'll see how much more you could save with a special discount on your auto insurance. From the PSIA AASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.